Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. Episode number three of this uh, weird-ass experience uh, called the Manifesto Podcast. Um, we have a history, a short one, you know. But we have we, we we've uh, we've uh, we were talking about before we started recording how we are usually just passing passing by each other as you go up on stage to present something or in a class where you're about to present, and then I have to present myself. So we basically just kind of like been talking to each other through those small moments that we share before we go on stage or uh through just witnessing each other's work mm -hmm. right? and like talking online uh so, so for people that might not know a lot about you yusuf uh, can you kind of do a little small intro about yourself yes like um like many men i was born <laughs> and uh yes we do have a short history but it's a short and explosive history i remember meeting you at that uh that marriott we, we got together to do the class and yeah. you got up there to do your bit and i'd never met you before i didn't know what you were talking about and i got up there to do my bit and both of us were having the same kind of thoughts like I can't believe I'm sitting in this room getting this gold knowledge and it was like 10 or 15 civilians yeah. and we kept grabbing them. It's like, you have no idea the yeah. amount of good information you're getting. Um, that was kind of where we met, but my story started a little bit uh, before that in the United States Marine Corps. Before that, I was uh, in Kuwait. I'm Kuwaiti myself. That was there for Desert Storm. So, uh, so you were born in Kuwait. Yep. Born uh, in Kuwait. That's your, that's an interest. That's an interesting, uh, so that's that was your, you were born in Kuwait, born and lived, born and lived in Kuwait. D Desert storm happens. Mm -hmm. uh, you come over. Yep. So Desert storm happened, and and we were actually there while during the occupation. You know, you couldn't immediately leave. And then um, for that time, I was in in first grade, seven eight years old. We went over to America, and I basically did first grade there while the 1990 war happened. Then America shows up and then, you know, you fast forward 15 years later, 9-11, and I'm going back to Iraq with the uh, United States Marine Corps. So it's a weird angle. Yeah. <laughs> so how, what was it like uh, witnessing that uh, the Gulf War through that TV like that? You were there and now you're in the U.S. I was actually kind of, uh, you know, sheltered from it because I was in the U.S. You know, you didn't see it right in front of your face as much. You'd hear about it. And I think uh, my, my mom, my family tried to protect us as much as we could because, you know, it was a war. But while we were there, yeah, you know, I remember being on my dad's shoulders, lifting me up over the shoulders and watching, you know, T-72 tanks, you know, roll on oh, down wow. the highway. And it's like, hey, that's where we're at right now, <laughs> you know. So um, by the time I got to the States, it was, you know, into first grade, kind of out of my head so, at that point. So you go, you go from Kuwait to what part of the United States? Did you Michigan. You and, go, you and go. not Dearborn. Don't say it. <laughs> so you go from Kuwait. To Michigan, to, to the coldest ass place you could, you could pull you from the world's warmest spot to the coldest. Yeah, how what was that change like? So I'd grown up going to the states because my mom is American and we have our yeah. American side of the family. So Michigan was nothing new to me. 
uh, winter was that was new because I'd always done uh, summer times there and I remember uh, Literally sitting at the bus stop in the morning going. I think I have frostbite on my, my toes Like I think I'm gonna lose them, you know um, That was interesting and also going from you know this secular, you know Muslim country no alcohol Involved to you know Michigan public school system. It was interesting. Yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a trip Yeah, that's pretty wild you you grew up in Michigan. Uh, war is kind of behind you as far as your history, your family history, and just basically how you had to kind of like leave there and your family left there. Uh, and like a nine eleven. How old were you when nine eleven happened? Uh, so, so fast forward to my sophomore year in in high school. This is back in Michigan. So we skipped a couple parts too. Sure, sure. So sure. I went back for first grade, then the Gulf War was over, and we went immediately back for second grade, back to Kuwait. So I had my year kind of time out, went back there to a pretty devastated country. Uh, Saddam and the army had lit the fires, and they lit the oil fires, over 100 uh, fires spewing oil and flames into the sky, so it built this ribbon to this day. Yeah. To this day, a uh, certain part of the year, this ribbon of black smoke shows up around Kuwait. To this day, you know, 2022. But then it was a thick, thick fog smoke and it was so much so that it peeled the paint off your house so kuwaiti houses kept having to get repainted because of this oil layer on there um you were going back to you know rubbling and and you know a state did your family attempt to kind of like figure out if they can rebuild there and stay so our home wasn't damaged my dad had to stay he was actually you know kind of taken into custody by the iraqis for a little bit but he was a civilian by himself um so our home was good but everything else had to be rebuilt luckily the schools weren't too bad we came back in there but i remember vividly in second grade coming back to school in first period and my teacher would be talking hey welcome to second grade i'm you know, miss ventura i think her name was miss ventura if you're out there um and like you'd hear boom you know, as a vet, we all know those noises, yeah. but those are mines going off. So either someone's stepping on them or they're demining them, you know? So that was a second grade memory for me. And, and not that I was freaked out. That was my normal. That's, That's a base, where, that, that yeah, was your baseline. That was my baseline. Like, oh, we look at, you know, better not step on those mines. We were getting all the classes like, hey, this is a ribbon mine. This is this type. Don't step on this one, you know? So that was my normal. That was my second grade. That's, a, that's an interesting second grade. Mm -hmm. So... When, when, when you when you come back from that? So, yeah, so we do the, the um, second grade back in Kuwait. I grew up there, and I actually go back to Michigan for high school. So going into my freshman year of high school, gas was 98 cents. I remember that, driving by a gas station, seeing 98 cents in Michigan. And I spent my high school there, and from there I joined a military academy. Um, and, uh, you know, they did their number on me and joined the Marine Corps from there. So I spent my four years there in high school, and I was there for 9-11, obviously. So you, you were you were in service already when 9-11 happened? No, no before. No, before. Was, yeah. Okay. So 10th grade, first, you know, first period CAD class, saw the planes live, go into it. I already knew I was going to, I already thought I was going to be in the military. Didn't really have a branch at that point. Yeah. There was no war on. Yeah. Um, but we all watched that happen. And then so all of a sudden, you know. What was it like seeing those planes, you know, first off, you know, hit hit the buildings? But then hearing the rhetoric around who who was responsible and some of the I don't know like uh, coming from a Muslim country and being an American you know Muslim and now all of a sudden you know you know you're it now 
you know, as far as the perception, the, the, yeah. some of the perception out there, like how, how was that? And, and, and you, you got to talk about, this is Michigan. This yeah. is you know, Southwest Michigan. Everyone says, oh, you're Arab. You're from Dearborn. No, I'm not from Dearborn. Uh, Southwest Michigan, a lot of farm town. I think I was, you know, one of the you know four brownest, you know, people there, you know, but it was nothing, you know, nothing that stands out in my head about racism. One thing is I don't really look Arab. Okay. I've been told okay. that a lot. So okay. I don't know if I've had a blessed life. I've never had to. One, I think, you know, you deal with, you know, discrimination. One, it's how you carry it. Yeah. Um, and it's like I try to carry myself as one who's not going to be open to that. Like there will be consequences. So I think that's part of it. But also I think I, don't know, I can pass for everything else. But uh, joining the Marine Corps um, out of that academy, out of that military academy, that was something else because now the evasion was about to happen or we were talking about it. I'm sitting in boot camp. I'm all of, you know, 18, 19 years old. And this is before the Iraq invasion. And Kuwait has a little island on it called Filica Island. And people use it for maneuvers or whatever. But, you know, two people got up on that island and killed, I want to say, three Marines. This is the whole, this incident actually was the whole reason where you ever heard about Marines being unloaded or not having security rounds? Yeah. Well, the whole reason we have security rounds in Guardian Angel kind of stemmed from this one incident because they had, the Marines were training on the island and no one had any ammunition because they figure, hey, we're on an island. Yeah. But two people infiltrated and they ended up killing three Marines. I'm watching that happen in boot camp. So I'm like, man, maybe some mistakes were made. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> um this uh so so you were there for part of the invasion yes. basically yeah uh, what was your role in that, so, in that in that in that uh part of the war as boot camp progressed you know shit started getting real real because the drill instructors are trying to fill your head full of this that and the other thing you know but they were having like heart to hearts man you know one was infantry and they were coming in like yo this ain't no joke like you guys are going like you guys are probably be over there before we are they were all chomping a bit want yeah. to go so things started to get real go, get through boot camp um i go through the school of infantry it was you know 12 weeks the invasion was basically kicking off at this point i don't even go to my unit usually you get released from school of infantry you go to your unit and they beat you up and haze you you know whatever and then you deploy together they're like nah man you're going to a truck and you're going to go sit in this warehouse till we fly you to kuwait and I, I fly us to Kuwait, no, no ship or anything, and we land there, and that's basically when the war kicks off. You know, me and another private, we were like thumb and rides through Iraq to try to catch my unit because they'd already gone forward, you know? Awesome. So, that's, uh, that was uh, the intro to the Marine Corps. That was your intro, basically, yeah. just uh, basically just be, take, get, getting tossed into the water. Yeah, literally. I mean, and, and it doesn't work like that. You, you're moving forward with units, and there was like a guy who had been wounded. He was coming back to the unit. He was like a corporal. And he's like, oh, you guys really are? You're coming with me. And we were like, when I say literally, we're walking up to trucks and going, hey, you going to Tikrit? No, but that helo is. We run over the helo. You going to Tikrit? Yeah, get in. And it's, you know, me and two other privates sitting on a pack. You know, it's uh, interesting. So what happens when you finally make it to to where you needed to be? I get, I get there and, uh, you know, full-blown full war is kicking off. Oh, it's already happening. And I speak Arabic. So I finally kept up my unit there in Tikrit. And uh, they've pretty much mobbed up. This is Saddam's hometown. And we've taken over a palace. It was kind of wild because I remember my, my battalion commander, first battalion commander I ever had in the fleet, his name was Duffy White. 
Uh, they're like, hey, you got to go talk to the colonel, you know, before you go to your unit. And, we, you know, my private ass walks over there. He's standing tall on the steps of like Saddam's palace. And he's like John Wayne pose. And he's like, oh, the new guys. And he gives us like speech, moto speech from Saddam's palace. Like looking back, I'm like, that was wild. <laughs> I'm private. I, I'm, 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 I'm a kid. They put me with a platoon. They're like, oh, there was an Arabic speaker. They'd heard about me somehow. And they're like, we need you with Praetorian platoon down on the bridge. And I got down there and immediately they're like, well, start doing your thing. And there was probably, you know, 800 people on this bridge that a hellfire had blown in half, but they didn't blow it all the way down. So what are the Iraqis? They're like, eh, it's only 50% blown up. It's fine. They're driving cars it's over, fine. you know, I'm like, you're probably going to die, but open up your trunk. So uh, within it, within 30 minutes of me being there, I was, you know, out rocking and rolling with them. You were basically in a combat zone doing talking to people talking to people doing we were doing some wild stuff in the beginning of the war too man like um the war time you know it kind of ended fairly quick it was barely three weeks of war and then like mission accomplished came out hey we did it you know little did we know um <laughs> but they move us back to a place called duania because we're going to rotate back home we're done basically we're rotating back home and we're in duania and we're going out town there was no infrastructure there was no bases it was like hey we're just going to be in that building and I remember me and my CO grabbing me for a shot, and they're like, oh, hey, come here, you're the Arabic speaker. And uh, we walk up to this lone, you know, 19-year-old gate guard, and we're like, hey, we're going to go into the city. And this kid's like, huh, what? And he's like, yeah, we're just going to go into the city, so you're good, right? And he's like, okay. And we were wandering around shopping and, you know, do on you, you know, um, buying stuff, you know, no problem. Went to a leather worker, you know. And, you know, fast forward six months later, three months later, and it's a bloody awful war zone. Yeah. But uh, who was involved in the, like, fighting back in that specific area? So basically a lot of the people that. Uh... It was it was a mix, man. It was weird. So OF1, it was like jubilation. We toppled Saddam. The Iraqis really were, you know, going out and meeting you and, and whatnot. That did not last long. Um, so you had obviously the mistakes that we made a lot of them like disbanding the entire uh iraqi, iraqi army. army oh never never saw that one coming so now you had people who had no jobs who were trained in arms that needed a job you know uh the economy took a tank so electricians all of a sudden are making you know ieds so you have those you know terroristic factions i'll call them but uh, another weird thing that was happening in the south and in the west too was these uh, criminal organizations would just slap on like unsettled unsettled you know, like iraqi whatever terrorist a one-stop depot and they're like yeah yeah we're terrorists you know but all they were doing was robbing convoys and robbing people they were criminal syndicates yeah you know and there were some other weird things that we did in in response to that but it was a uh, very factual really it really mattered where you were yeah. if you were in the south it was a, a different thing as opposed to being in the west where it was you know a different thing yeah, that whole mission accomplished, uh, jet landing, all that stuff. It sure looked good. I mean, Damn, I'm, it looked good. <laughs> I was witnessing it as a complete outsider from afar, looking yeah. at that conflict, like, wow. Yeah. yeah it's pretty didn't, interesting. Didn't mean shit, but <laughs> I remember we got put in that movement company, and, like, my name was Badu, so B-A. I was, I, was, I was the first one to leave. We were leaving in, like, a couple of days, and I got bumped. And they're like, hey, there's not enough room on the, on the plane. You're going to next week's flight. And we thought the war was going to be over. Like, I remember a group of us, like, all, you know, crying in our Wheaties because we were like, oh, man, we're Marines and we're going to miss the war. And not even close, you know. I know those dudes, one of them has seven deployments. Yeah. Seven deployments, you know. I did three myself. That's like, okay, cool. Cool so, story, bro. 
how 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 far back this is this? almost 20 years ago oh uh, almost jesus thanks ed appreciate I mean, that th- th- yeah, uh, yeah it's 2003 sp- specifically yeah. thinking about that because I, I just uh, met some uh i, t- I trained some uh, members of the military that mm-hmm. were they're about to go somewhere yeah and one of them said that he was born after 9-11 oh <laughs> Which made me think about the fact yeah. that the U.S. has been in war for so yeah. long. Yep. And yep. some of these kids are about to, I think he was going to Africa, yeah. somewhere in Africa. And you can Google it, the stories. I don't know how many I've seen. There's always once in a while, I've seen a, a, a daughter and a mom, a son and a dad, usually son and a dad, where they're in the war zone together. And the Stars and Stripes will do a thing. And they're like, son and dad. And you're looking at it going, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. that's a long war. I mean, that's I think a... the history of the United States, we've been alive 200 some odd years. Like, you know, 10 of those years have been non-war <laughs> in 20 years, something like that. Um, were you were you ever deployed in Afghanistan? No, not no, Afghanistan. Not that Afghanistan. Was, yeah, that was very quiet during. I did OF1, 2, and 3, basically, back to back to back. Um, that was when the insurgency kicked off. That was when the IEDs kicked off. That was just rocking. Afghanistan was a forgotten nothing. Yeah. No one was even deploying there. Yeah. Um, and then after I came away from the fleet, stopped doing my p- deployments, started training. That's when Iraq quieted down after the surge, you know, 20, 2009, 2010. And then Afghanistan just kicked off. And yeah. then from there, you added in ISIS. And then, you know, you know but at the time, it was all Iraq seeing the withdrawal from Afghanistan recently, you know, how does that feel? That's painful. That's painful as a vet who who was patriotic, who joined in a time of need. We saw 9-11. We all did. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm one story in a million. So we, we saw people got hurt. We, they, they attacked our country. They attacked, uh, you know, loved ones. And so we wanted to go defend against that. And then, you know, you put us in this 20-year quagmire, and, you know, I know we were talking offline about my friend, and we'll talk about him later, and he went, o- go, went over there and died. Um, and for all the heroics and awesome, you know, oh, they, you know, they died with their boots on. You know, oh, he died doing what he loved. Yeah, you know what? I'd rather just have that person back, yeah. you know? So 20 years of, of loss and blood and just to walk away. When you, when you see the withdrawal and you say pain, you know, is the pain related to the futility of it? Oh, the, 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 uh, it's related to the pain. 20 years, you know, obviously I'm focused on our side and my guys and my friends. That's all that pain there. But what about the Afghanis? You know, you know war. 95% of the people are stuck in the middle. It's the 5% of factions that are there and everybody else is kind of stuck in the meat grinder in the middle. And we were there for a long time. We caused a lot of pain. They caused a lot of pain. And for what? Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Marine Corps, Delta Force, SEAL Team 6. We're out there canoeing everyone's head and they're canoeing us. 20 years of that shit. And now what? Yeah. And then we end it with with blowing up 13 Marines. You know, Um, that incident actually really heated me up because if I didn't start the business, if I didn't do what I did now, you know where I'd be? I'd be in the Marine Corps training. Those guys were from Pendleton. They were from Horno. And the odds are, I'm not saying it's 100%, but odds are I would have trained somebody in that group. Yeah. And and that gets to sit with me. I get to carry that around with me, another rat in my head, like shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, yeah. had they spotted that uh, suicide bomber in the incident. So, yeah. and, the, so and, the, and the fucked part about it was, too, you know what the Marines were doing at the time when the bomb went off? So a suicide bomber had made his way into the crowd. 
there was a canal next to the base or whatever, and it was full of piss and shit, you know, a sewer thing. And people were freaking out trying to get over the gate and the fence so much that they were falling into this shit sewer, okay? So what did the lieutenant out there do? He said, hey, Marines, start helping them out. And so those Marines, male and female, started climbing in the shit water, and there's even, I think, pictures of them pulling people out. That's when the asshole decided to detonate, you know? Yeah. When those Marines were sitting there wearing all that gear in this foreign country trying to help somebody else out, you know, that's the exclamation point. So, I think that uh, there's a there's a there's a picture of that uh, like a C-130 flying out, the one that had the people hanging from it. Uh, the numbering on that plane was zero nine one one, I think, or something really? like that. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. One of the final planes that we're, made it out. What's funny how life works sometimes. Yeah, so it, I mean, uh, time is a flat circle, is what mm -hmm. some people say. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the uh, one of the quotes that I heard when that was happening, the withdrawal, uh, that the Afghanis told the Americans that they might have the watches, but they have the time. Yep. You know, it's yep. an in, that was an interesting aspect of it. I think that's actually I think that's a Bin Laden quote, and he yeah. was saying that around the Somalia time. Yeah. You guys got the watch, we got the time, and they absolutely do. Yeah, I mean. You know? uh, you know, I, I try and look for parallels and conflicts across the, across the globe, specifically for some of the conflicts that I was a part of mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 in Mexico. Uh, and seeing, you know, people fighting on their home turf, mm -hmm. you know, for places where they grew up and, mm -hmm. and the vested interest they have in kind of keeping some of those places in control or safe for themselves. Mm -hmm. And what that does is as far as a fighting force, you know, versus people that are flying from across the world to just, you know, do what they're doing because of a you know uh, patriotism mm -hmm. or uh, some sort of uh, process that they have to go through. They think they have to prove something mm -hmm. to themselves mm -hmm. and to the people around them. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a it was a weird it's a it's a weird uh, kind of like a place. I'm evolving. I'm definitely evolving as a person. Um, where I came from as a veteran, combat veteran, and whatnot. My thoughts are evolving, and and you know you, you have your crazy uh, videos and whatnot. You used to watch, you know, and I don't even watch that stuff anymore. I turn yeah. my brain off to it just because I, I I I'm still working in it. And yeah, you deal with so much pain involved in that, and and it's not just the loss of life and. It, it's the the bigger secondary and tertiary effects like the, the, our country as an ally who's going to listen to us anymore yeah. who in the hell would listen to anything we have to say you wonder why the president no one will pick up his phone call because what guarantee could we make anybody now yeah you go to africa and be like yeah we're big bad marine we're big bad america we'll, we'll protect you you sure about that yeah we have this big huge glaring example of why that's not going to work out for you you know yeah. Yeah, I said that. I said uh, I said that in one of the posts uh, related to the, the when you were when you were extracting yourself from Afghanistan. Uh, this lesson is going to be learned by the people that your sons and daughters yep. are going to try and deal with later yep. on. I mean, if they're looking for friends in the world, yep. this is going to it's going to be pretty detrimental. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I uh, that I'm saying that the U.S. should have stayed there forever. No. Uh, there's a way you could have done that. But there's a way you could have done that, yeah. you know, and that's, a, I don't know. It's not, it's not ollie ollie oxen free <laughs> and fucking run for your lives, you know. I mean, some of, some of that equipment is actually ending, ending up in Mexico now. Yeah, oh, which is, don't even get me started about this because uh, we, we're going to veer off and talk about Ukraine. So, yeah, Afghanistan and Ukraine and, 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 you know, it's like, yes, we need to help those people. And, you know, Russia's being pretty evil right now. But when you're you're just flooding that whole area, there already is, I did a post the other day on my Instagram. It's, it's still up 
there where it's already on the dark web. Yeah, or a javelin. This, yeah, it's missing the clue system, but it's got a javelin. You think that's the only one trading hands right no, now? No, there's, there's, there's that, that, those are going to be out there. They're probably gonna, we're going to learn yep. about them later on. Yeah. Oh yeah. When we when because you can effectively fire them at 747s. You know, as long as it's within 1500 meters. So God forbid one of those missiles goes anywhere outside the zone. And good thing we've you know given them five million of them. <laughs> Well, um, so you go through the you go through the uh, the invasion. Mm. Um, what what was your what, what was your you know you stop uh, you you go out there deploy how many times did you deploy three three times three times. Yeah. Uh, they're all back to back. So we got done with like, oh, I have one. And they got back and they're like, all right, everybody, we did it. We're American heroes. They're like, clean your shit. We're going right back. And six months later, we were back in Iraq for another nine months and then came back. And then I, we were home for about seven months that time and, and went back for that uh, third one in 06. What happened after that as far as your, like, where'd you, where'd you go from there? Uh, OAF2 was kind of rock and roll. Uh, it was a lot of IEDs out there, and there was a lot of creepy stuff happening out in the western part of Iraq. Um, we'd like to say it was the, the land that the Marine Corps forgot. You know, it was the edge of the empire. And it was western Iraq, so you had the Jordanian border, the Syrian border, and Iraq. So you not, not only are we in the Sunni triangle where you have the terrorism, you have criminality, you have sheep smuggling, you have also, like all these different facets that it's like now we're chasing sheep smugglers. It's like I didn't see we were doing them, but it had like serious effects on the economy. Um, but they blew us up. They just fucking blew us up every day. And... I think I don't know, lost six, seven guys on that deployment. Most of it all, you know, except for Nick Dare, if he got the luckiest or the unluckiest RPG shot where he was um, got shot in his chest with an RPG, basically, you know. Um, but the rest of it was all IEDs, you know. And um, so that that was an interesting aspect of that war, you know. Like the uh, Ukraine has shown us that uh, anti-tank. Uh, capabilities is pretty uh, mm -hmm. pretty valuable mm -hmm. uh as a defending force for them uh for the iraqis ieds uh improvised explosive and all the ordinances was everywhere that was being utilized to basically bog you down or slow down yep the, the americans um i remember my, my my friend he did a one in afghanistan where they were um you know they're smart they will canalize you they they watch your tactics they'll look for you if you're aggressive and there's all sorts of stories. I can tell you all sorts of stories. Marines were known to be aggressive. So I know for a fact this came out of a, um, I think there was a book in Afghanistan where it was a, you know, I'm not knocking the army here, you know, but, and, and they weren't, a, and they weren't a victor unit. They weren't an infantry unit. They were like a supply company, but they have a certain way they operate and Taliban, you know, they um, shoot pot shots at them, you know, when they drive by, but they knew the army would just gas and floor it, you know, and just go. So they could, you could take your shots and not do anything. Then the Marines moved to town. And now they, they took pot shots out of them and the convoy, all the convoy stops and all these dudes unass and we're running towards them. They're like, that's not supposed to happen when I shoot at someone, they're not supposed to run at me. So cool. But then they got savvy and they kept watching. Like, hey, these guys, the Marines are aggressive. So put your guy out here on top of the wall and put a deep ambush here in the alley. Take the pot shots. They go, hey, diddle, diddle, right up the middle, and now it's a you know a box ambush from the top of a roof. You so, know? so when these things were happening, I mean, I imagine there was after action stuff happening. Uh, were the lessons being learned? Were the lessons being transferred? Were were you guys basically not falling for it several times over? Like um, everyone had their own AO and their own thing. So you, I call it itchy and scratchy. 
So yeah. they do this, we do this. They start putting them in the roads, so we drove off the roads. So they started, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so internally, we had our own thing, but unbeknownst to me at the time, the Marine Corps was building a really cool program. I actually kind of started around 2007, where they were taking all these lessons learned and applying and, and giving them breath and like, okay, lessons learned. If you've ever read one of those things, like an after action, it's great information, but it's completely academic. Yeah. It's completely, it's a bullet one, bullet two. It doesn't give you the feel, the grit, the, okay, what do I need to do here to beat my enemy? So they started developing what's uh, called the combat hunter program. Now it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not really in the Marine Corps anymore, but this was a program that we developed because of all these casualties. We were taking IEDs and uh, snipers, all sorts of threats on the battlefield. We had to get real good at being able to scan a crowd and pick out the bad person in a crowd without the advent of seeing a weapon. You know, everyone was looking for the bad guy who they think it's like spy versus spy with a trench coat and he's going to have his hand on the detonator. It's not that. Yeah. Um, but there's certain behavioral indicators, fear-based behavioral indicators that can use to start scanning, you know, and that's what we started doing and started getting smart. So, you know, this is how, how long into the, the war is this like, uh, like the, the, the start of this uh, program? They started developing, they started doing the experiments on it. They call them limited objective experiments where you, you know, you see if it's viable. They start doing that, I think two, 2007 and then, uh, officially it rolled out in 2008, which is the exact point where I got to the program. Um, I'd got out of the Marine Corps. You got out I, of the Marine Corps. Yeah, I did. I got out of the Marine Corps and, you know, they stuck a FedEx in my door a year and a half. I was a civilian. I was working yeah. at Ford in Irvine and they stuck a, a FedEx in my door with orders to get my ass back. I'd been recalled to the Marine Corps. <sighs> okay. So that's the first time that had happened since desert storm. Hey, look at that. Um, everyone thought it was because of the Arabic or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah. Holy, yeah. yeah. You're Arabic. Yeah, had, nothing to, had nothing to do with it. I get there and I, I'm talking to the people and they're like, yeah, you know, this is because of my Arabic stuff, right? And they're like, what Arabic stuff? I was like, nothing, nothing at Don't all. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I was infantry. They wanted yeah. infantry. They wanted war fighters. So that's right when I'd landed at the combat hunter program, basically right when it stood up to the fleet and started training. Awesome. Uh, so, so what was the pitch for like the program for you guys? Like what was the... What, what? To make... A more lethal, survivable, and observant Marine, basically, to make the enemy more dead and make our guys more alive, you know, um, in, in a way that we hadn't done before. Yeah. It's Marine Corps is about aggression and tactics and fire and maneuver and, you know, winning by force. But this is a much softer skill, and it had to do with body language, nonverbals, biometric responses. You think it's the, uh, you know, basically urban warfare bigger 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 crowds of people uh being part of the the combat zone yes uh you know i mean the u.s has had experiences like that before but not not in this specific kind of think about it like this if i had to put you on the ground in an area like that full-on combat zone but you don't get a gun how would you operate would it be the same as if you had guns no not even close no you have to form a baseline you'd have to get savvy yep um what is it, Hoyler Gracie? I'm gonna mess this up. The the the, um, the smaller Gracie brother, yeah, who was sick, he was kind of sicker. That's how he developed his style of jujitsu. Same thing. When you don't have the advent of a weapon system, you got to get smarter. And that's what we did with the program. And we brought in people like law enforcement professionals, guys that have the job like 30 years. They were really good about the nonverbal, uh, biometric kind of responses. So, so people that have been on the beat for years yeah. that know how to interview yeah, suspects somewhere in a dangerous city. and, and That have and, the vibe, that have the, you know, cops will tell you, 
you've probably seen a dude, maybe you can, like, I, I get this from prison guards a lot. Prisoner guards or sheriffs, they can spot inmates out in town all the time, yeah. quickly. Inmates walk in a certain way, and they can pick them out in the crowd. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, same kind of concept with the law enforcement side. They have that, that street um, um, street smart. Yeah. But then, you didn't. that was only one component. So another component is observation. So we have these human sensory systems, our eyes, our brain. You know, your eye doesn't, is just an organ that takes in information. Your brain's the one that processes it. So you have to make sure your brain's working the right way under the right processes because most of us are kind of fucked up. Most of us are following the wrong processes, you know. But all it takes is someone to show you. So, you know, a simple thing, you know, pair of binos. We, Marine Corps, really brought back binos. Uh, binos haven't really been utilized in the military that much in the, in the past conflict, the past 20 years of Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, you know, some of your listeners might be like, what do you mean we don't use binos? We would to an extent, but they're the crappy little two-power scout binos you'd throw in your back pocket. You can actually utilize, you know, a pair of binos and um, take your hands instead of holding them like this, like everyone does. All you're gonna do is cup them with your hands a little bit. All you're doing is covering the eyelets. So you ever stare too long on a scope and your eye gets fatigued? All you gotta do is you can sit there all day. If I could take someone who's never had a pair of binos and show them that trick, that's good. So we brought in big game hunters from like South Africa and guys would be like shooting lions and stuff and they'd do these. And then the third component was um, the man tracking. Everyone loves the man tracking, actually following footprints in the ground, tracking people down in a combat situation. There's all sorts of different types of tracking out there. There's like yeah. search and rescue. There's, uh, you know, animal tracking. But this is a very specific type of tracking developed in Rhodesia by a very specific person that's meant to, you know, locate close with and destroy the enemy, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I had some tracking training myself, like going, going through my career. And it's a uh, very different tracking something that's running away uh, over something that might stop, double back and shoot you in the head. Bambi yeah. ain't got a PKM. No. Bambi does no. not have a PKM, yeah. But uh, remember the whole aspect of it slowing everything down, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're running towards somebody. And, or, yes, yeah. Or are you slowing down, looking, observing, seeing things from different levels? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're young. Yep. You know, like I, mean, I, was, I remember when I was in my 20s. Somebody took a posh at it. Somebody took a posh at it as I would run, figure out a way to get those guys. And mm -hmm. retribution was in my mind, mm -hmm. not observation mm -hmm. yeah. or, or figuring things out. Yep. So, I mean, I imagine having some of these young Marines go through that program, uh, having that kind of mindset already culturally programmed. Into oh, them, yeah. And all of a sudden you're telling them, oh, wait, dude, slow down. <laughs> Yeah. observe if you want to you know if you got a fighting dog you know i don't want to have to kick it in the ass i want to hold back on the leash and so that's what all marines are you always yeah. got to hold back on. so as a, as a teacher you, you got to understand that so i just let them fuck it up i just i just put them through all sorts of pain i'll give them a so for example there's a hill uh one of the tracking components is exactly what you're talking about you know not just slowing down but making the tempo work for you so that can mean slow down or it can mean speed up because you can make your quarry again it's not bambi you can make them make mistakes because yeah. if they're in that survival mindset you can push that tempo but you got to be aware of your you know equipment and physicality there's a there's a hill in pendleton and it's called um i don't know some horrible name nutbuster um, I don't I can't remember it's uh, by Talega. it's horror it's like a sheer cliff like this it's a fire break it's not yeah. a hill it's a fire break and what I would like to do in our, our track instructors, we'd take those young buck Marines, recon Marines, God bless them, I love them, but they're 
they can go full retard sometimes. They just, hey, did a little right up the middle. So I'll take them to the base of that. I'll be their quarry. And I'll tell them, hey, you guys better slow down. You're overshooting. You're doing this. And they won't listen. So what I'll do is I'll, you know, kind of get away from them, get some distance. And then I'll beat my feet all the way up that fire. It sucks. You're, you're sucking wind. But I get to about halfway up there and I'll just sit on, eat a peanut butter sandwich, you know. And I see them pop up over the ridge and you'll see them. And you'll see the hands pointing and you see the chat. You get them all excited and you see them start running. And like, lo and behold, they gas out, you know, about a third of the way up. And I calmly get up and I walk and I make them walk up all the way. And they get to the top. And that's where we have the maybe you should slow down, boys, debrief, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and they're like, okay, we get it, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting mix of basically you have to look back and look at other, other people and doing different different jobs and just mm -hmm. being in a you know, marine yep. in a combat zone mm -hmm. hunters uh people that were tracking uh, uh police officers now it's like an it sounds very esoteric you know it is it, it combat hunter is like the i used to tell people combat hunter is like what you always wanted to join the military for yeah like goggles down pew, like cool mm -hmm. stuff tracking hide and seek you join and you realize it's none of that and my life sucks you yeah. know but the tracking and the, the profiling component that's a, it's an inter it's a people light up <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's training and an aspect of preparation that you can take with you even after service right oh, yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely um, what was the, what was what was it like not only being a veteran like a combat veteran uh, and now instructing people that were in your shoes yeah yeah uh, who were about to go off and face unspeakable and unknown uh, unknowable horrors as far as you know what they were going to witness um for you you know like teaching them some of this stuff and also was there a sense of urgency behind yes. some mm -hmm. of the stuff that you're like hey i know you're all like gung-ho but like chill out slow yeah. down so from about so i i done my deployments got back to, to combat or 2000 in 2008 started training up the fleet by then the combat was pretty heavy you know we were rocking and rolling iraq was dying down and we started picking up in afghanistan so all of our, our people were deploying when you had a student we ran a lot of training when you came in those marines were locked and cocked because four weeks later they're on a plane to afghanistan four weeks later, and it was an infantry focused course so it wasn't like randos in there it's like you're deploying to go shoot people in the face or get shot so we never had a problem Till one day, till one day, something clicked. The deployments slowed down. Afghanistan started slowing down. And then you started to get these off-brand weird missions all over the world. So I was having trouble connecting with some of these guys. And they're coming from a no combat, no Iraq or Afghanistan. But they were still doing some crazy stuff. And I had to train them. So that was interesting, seeing the urgency go away, seeing the combat minds. And that's a bad thing. You want to keep that around. But also seeing the young guys evolve um, look at Marines nowadays, man. They look like Delta Force. Your most private, like, junior Marine, if he's in the infantry, has dual nods, you know, silence, whatever, whatever. Um, the stuff they're doing there is wild. I wish, I wish every day I could write, I'd stop whatever I'm doing and reset the clock and go back to boot camp today. I'd do it all in a heartbeat because they're doing some wild, cool stuff. Yeah, generational, you're yep. speaking, it's a, it's a different, it's a different, uh, I mean, a lot of those lessons learned, a lot of the lacking in equipment, a lot of the advancements in, in, in tactics and weapons and all that stuff. I mean, they're benefiting mm -hmm. from a 20-plus year yep. war, basically. The medicine, you, you got rangers 
who are doing um, this wild. I just saw a whole video on it. It's a um, in-field blood transfusion in the middle of a gunfight. They're they're taking rounds. A dude goes down. They have this whole program, and you know that's blowing my mind. You yeah. know, I just read that the other day. Uh, we went through when I was active. We went through some weird training in, mm-hmm. uh, in Coronado, mm-hmm. and a corpsman like mm-hmm. uh, showed us some wild stuff related to just being able to yep. treat a bullet wound out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he was the first one I heard, I just pack a wound with dirt. You know, you're in the middle of a city, the, the hospital's nearby. Infection is going to be probably at the end of the spectrum of things you can worry you're about. Open. Yeah. Yeah. Just pack it with dirt. It's like, what? Yeah. We've done it. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, I mean, who would know best about yep. how to do something like that than somebody who's got like, a generation of people that yeah. gone through that conflict zone. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's been an interesting aspect of seeing how some of those. Uh, I mean, if anything, the U.S. has been very good about keeping notes mm-hmm. on what it does. Yeah, you know? very good. Yeah, very good. And developing new things. Yeah, related to conflict and war. Uh, that's been a, that's an outside observation of it. It's been very interesting seeing how some of those lessons get applied, learn, and then turn into equipment, and then training, mm-hmm. and then how. You know, like we were, my unit here in Mexico was the first one that would carry on cat tourniquets. We, really? not, not yeah. a lot of people carry them. Not a lot of people even know what they were. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and we learned that from the U.S. The members of the U.S. military that are coming back from that conflict, yeah. right? And showed us a, a few things about, you know, how to secure it. Um, I remember us bringing up the fact that some of these things would come undone if we were dragging somebody across a carpet. Mm, ooh. And they were like, yeah, yeah because... I'd pull that, the cat, yeah, that pulled it apart, yeah. And they were uh, describing how some of the houses that they were encountering out there were covered in carpet mm-hmm. and how they would have to solve that with duct tape to I remember uh, I, it was a big issue. It was those cat tourniquets too. And because if you saw Marines, they'd have them everywhere. Basically, yeah. you know, one... And, but they were pulling them out of the packaging and they dry rot. And guys would patrol for three months, and you go to twist one on it, snaps, snaps. in your hand, and yeah. everyone's snapped. You know yeah. Yeah. that that lesson we didn't learn. Yeah. Later on, they told us about mm-hmm. maybe the fact that UV is going to be affecting them, and we'd have them in the open, and they would mm-hmm. snap. I remember doing a a, a T triple C course, and uh, fantastic. You know, when I came in, it was buddy aid. You know, self aid buddy aid. They had quick clot, and they're like, "Here's quick clot." pour it on there and you're good it just solves all your problems so i'm like all right <laughs> um and then it evolved to i took another one and I, I remember being you know butthurt about it. i was like oh, i don't want to do tcc and they brought in a corpsman this is the most badass medical course i've done he he didn't really he didn't he go, went into treatments we had to like sign off on cat turning but he was talking about assessment he goes this is how you assess a patient at p march i had this whole thing and i was like i've never been taught that that's awesome. And it's like, do we need to put a tourniquet on right now or do we need to treat this head wound? What's more, you know, um, and we had nurses. We had two nurses, city nurses out in town. And one of the one of the things you actually have to do is a crike, a field crike where you open up the throat. And they showed a video. They didn't do it, but they just showed a video. It's like, hey, in the field, you know, you can do whatever you got to do. And they had someone do a crike with two keys. Yeah. And the nurses were like, you would never do that. They had like a big freak out with the instructors. They're like, I can't believe you showed that. You would never do that, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you and us live in completely different worlds, <laughs> yeah. you know? And they couldn't fathom. These are ER nurses and they just couldn't fathom that. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different, it's a different, it's a yeah. different world. Um, so your, your uh, pace is slowing down as far as conflicts, uh, weird com- conflicts are getting smaller, more specific in different parts of the world. I'll give, uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. They start flying us to uh, Japan. 
I went to like Japan like five times in one year because an ETT team, a, 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 a advisor team in Afghanistan who will come to find out we're all like non-combat. They just volunteered. Yeah, we'll, we'll be on a four-man ETT team in the middle of Afghanistan. Yeah, sure. We'll be hooked with an Afghan company out there in nowhere and yeah, nothing bad could happen. And um, there was an incident where one of these ETT teams went down there and they, I think they all got killed because the lieutenant couldn't call in a bird. He couldn't land the bird. And he couldn't identify the enemy positions and he didn't he didn't have any info and they all got killed so as soon as that happened that's what i mean by like strange random yeah. not your normal training yeah, and I, when they started going into nation building basically yeah. and then i remember a gunny i won't say his name but he actually told me he was he'd just come back from et he goes how i left my tour on ett he was the gunny and he had a major with him it was i had an afghani and I had a gun to his head. He was like the Afghani company commander. He had a gun to his head while they backed into the Black Hawk. And the entire company Afghanis had guns on him. He goes, that's how we ended the last one. I was like, well, right. <laughs> yeah. That's Let's it. get to training. <laughs> um, you're, you're there instructing. Obviously, as an instructor there, you're also, you're also get access to a bunch of training for yourself, right? Yes, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can you comment on some of the, the, yeah, the, the yeah. interesting things you got to basically? Yeah, learn? yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So, like, they, they schooled us up, and they were the normal, semi-normal Marine Corps ones, but they're normally you wouldn't get all mall. So I went to the marksmanship coaches, PMI and all that. I went to a foreign weapons course. We had to be certified in that. I thought I knew shit about guns. Yeah. I thought I knew shit about guns till they sent me to Virginia with a bunch of podunk good old boys with big old dips in their mouth. I'm like, yeah, what are these guys going to teach me? Those guys like professors of gunship. Yeah. Like there's stuff I've never known, never ruled about recoil operating systems. So yeah. that yeah. was a great time. Yeah. Uh, uh, so for people that don't know, know, basically they show you what type of uh, firearms you might encounter out there in the field to not only how to operate them, but also maybe to instruct somebody else how to yep. do it. Or like if you encounter a Soviet RPG out there. Yep, you know? yep. Um, not, not only, you know, shoot them, do all that good stuff, but actually employ them in a maneuver capacity. And it was cool because we thought we were going to shoot AKs and uh, whatever, but we shot AKs, PKMs, RPKs, and we had four Tiger Dragonoffs, black on black, that are from Izmish factory in Russia. And they told us, they're like, yeah, the State Department had to do a big thing. It was a big thing to try to get these, but... I shot a dragon. We shot G3s, everything. We shot a bunch of stuff. MP5 SD, which was you could you could just hear. You know, you know about those. You can just hear the bolt cycling. Yeah. You know, but um, that dragon off man. That's the first time I ever shot that. It was a shitty day and it was overcast. The scope actually, the PSO scope actually had moisture in it. Yeah. So there were like driplets and all that at 600 yard line. Not even trying, I was pinging steel 600 yards, headshot, bing, and bing. For, And for people to kind of like comprehend how, why that is an interesting thing for you to experience, you were showing other people not to get shot with that specific firearm in a war zone. Yeah. But you had never been behind the glass of something like that. Yeah. So now, you, now you're not only getting the experience of shooting it, you're getting what? the oh shit moment. Oh, Bam, shit. this thing works. <laughs> this, this thing works. This uh, ain't some beat up AK. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an that's an interesting aspect. Because uh, like you ever you ever you ever you ever shot a young, I'm sure you have a precision rifle, like an American made, you know, an accuracy international. My buddy Kyle, man, he's a Marshak guy. He has a he likes some big guns. He has a Desert Tech Shy or Desert Tech 338 Lapua. It's a bullpup, okay? Yeah. 
he loads up the magazine. He's like, go ahead. The scope is so high speed. The scope's like this big. You can see like Mars. I can't even get my eye relief right. I'm all over the place. I fire around. It feels like a flashbang went off in my mouth. I'm like, <laughs> the, the, barrel, the muzzle's like that far away. And I'm like, bro, no, that's, that's too much, you know. But the dragon off no no scope shadow it's just easy it's you can tell it's it's built for a part you know a a, 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 a you know a not very educated military yeah. conscript conscript army. Uh, yeah it comes out of the box and it and it wails away at 600 yards whereas you know the other sniper you know you have to train them precision system that's that was interesting that's an interesting thing yeah. uh you know these uh you know they have the the, the soviet block weaponry has like a you know, they don't they don't jam they don't fail i mean they'll jam they'll fail but they're made like you know all those tolerances yeah the, the tolerances and also they're made to like here here you go this is how you operate it click click <laughs> there you go oh but what about that kid he can't charge that ak <laughs> Put, the kid puts the rifle on the ground and just uses his foot to charge it. yep like yep. i saw that somewhere in culiacan it was pretty fascinating to yeah. see that right but uh yeah um so so yeah, a foreign weapons course and um, a bunch of smattering of some other cool and some law enforcement. But um, we did um, also as part of instructor, you know, development. You know, you do ride-alongs with LAPD, you do ride-alongs with Border Patrol. We got into some pretty cool places, like you know, places we shouldn't have been. You know, it's like I remember I won't say what agency, but they're like, hey, I think that guy's going off there. Hey, you get in the truck and follow me over there. It's like me yeah i'll do it <laughs> i'll come bring the shotgun too and say like, yeah you're good you're good some agencies are very stringent some not so much yeah cowboy <laughs> yeah cowboys yeah. <laughs> yeah it was fun on the border learning about that and you know getting into the profiling it was really cool um coyotes man it's very interesting and i don't know who which border patrol agent but it, it made so much sense when she said it that's how a lot of this stuff is but he goes, look, you have a coyote. He's like the handler. He's in charge of 30 people. He has to get 30 people across the border. And, you know, if he goes to yeah, the Walmart and he needs to buy shoes, what's he doing? He's not buying, hey, give me a size 8 in those, 9 and 10 in those, you know. He's going, give me that Reebok. Give me, give me all of them in that Reebok in size 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So you have a group of people all wearing the same shoes. And then one guy with some Danners and you're like, come here, guy. Let yeah. me talk to you real quick yeah. with their $200 boots on. <laughs> That's a pretty easy way to kind of tell apart, yeah. the, you know, who the management is basically. Yeah. It's an interesting little observation. And you would, and you would think when, before I said that, you'd be like, oh, who are the coyotes? It's like, yeah. just look at the shoes, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look down. That's all you got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, for us, uh, like small things like that, small details. I remember the older guys would show us some of this stuff, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, checking people's hands to see if they have a callus on their on yep. this finger yep. from from holding a, a, a an AK or an AR for mm -hmm. a long period of time with your finger on. Yep. I would do that in Iraq with with the hands. We I remember a couple of times we got weird vibes and everyone's a falah farmer yeah. on a falah. And like, I remember this guy he had Baghdad plates and he goes, oh, I'm a farmer. And I grabbed his hands. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had like lotion on him. Like yeah. you over moisturized today, bro. <laughs> yeah, that uh, leadership. Uh, people that had good teeth mm -hmm. in a group of people, you know, those guys were like, hmm, you know, so we got to learn about dentistry, you know, and how oh, some of them interesting. Yeah, right? that's cool. Uh, tattoos, uh, mm -hmm. all of these things. But older, the older guys, we didn't have a hunter program. We had an old dude next yeah. to us, an old head. slap us in the back of the head, you yeah. know, if we did something stupid. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember how this, this whole process of. of learning from the observations of the guys that were behind us mm -hmm. and then adding on our own experience to it yep. and then 
having that transference of information to the next generations. Uh, but we in Mexico isn't good at keeping no, we, we don't do that. Every we're, six years, we burn the book. Basically. Hey, we're, look at us right now, man. We're, Americans aren't, aren't that much greater. Like military, uh, it happens every time. This just happened to the combat hunter. Doesn't, for, for all intents and purposes, combat hunter doesn't really exist anymore in what it used to be. No one's being trained in it anymore. Uh, it's when wars happen, just yeah. like uh, back in the day and like in World War One. Hey, we got these snipers. They're really effective on the battlefield. The war's over. Right, thanks, guys. And then World War II, same thing. Thanks, guys. And then Vietnam, finally someone's like, maybe we should keep snipers. Yeah. So that's, I think, the evolution of Combat Hunter. It's gonna, it's, it's what you said. It's like those people have the knowledge, but it never gets passed on. So yeah. just observing what's happening in Ukraine right now, mm -hmm. if you, let's imagine you, you were in charge of that program again, prepping mm -hmm. people to mm -hmm. go out there for some reason. Uh, what are some of the lessons you're just kind of like, what are some of the lessons you've taken note of uh, as far as this conflict? So Ukraine specifically, it's huge on observation and camouflage and concealment. You know, cover doesn't do shit against the javelin. No, javelin eats your cover for breakfast. So you have to be so good, you're concealed. Um, Ukrainians got a home, <laughs> home turf advantage, man. There's like, what, 200,000 Russian soldiers or million and a half of them so all the ukrainians have to do is you know all they have to do what i would be looking at you know major major pat patterns of movement and areas you can canalize and get all their armor in a valley somewhere and just dump into it uh, it's interesting to see the vast amount of you know tanks and stuff mm -hmm. like that that the russians had uh, said they had mm -hmm. you know and seeing all this old equipment out yep. there now that uh, was abandoned, a lot of it. Yep. Their world champion, world uh, war game champion tank driver getting killed probably mm -hmm. the first month he was there or yep. something like that. Yep. Uh, it's a full breakdown. Like you've watched, like all the you know you know Murphy's rules. Like oh, don't happen. Like all the things you and people like like us have worried about. Like, don't do this. This will happen. It's like you're seeing a full breakdown of a military. And another thing when it comes to observation and devices, if I was a Ukrainians, you know, I'd be all, I'd be all over night vision and yeah. laser aiming devices at night because Russia doesn't even have that ability. Yeah. So it's like you could, you know, we, people would say, oh, we own the night. Nah, you rent the night. But yeah. like these Ukrainians, that's their home. They could literally own the night. And yeah. I guarantee they're doing it. Like yeah. I guarantee Ukrainian soft is putting foot to ass. Like this, we're just hearing about the stuff that's public, you yeah. know, 10 years from now, we're going to see, you know, what really happened on the ground. It's, it's been fascinating also to see how social, social media mm -hmm. specifically for this conflict, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people out there have pretty good smartphones yep. and some of the stuff that's coming out during the initial parts of that, uh, seeing people, arm themselves mm -hmm. getting armed mm -hmm. uh seeing people without any experience with a rifle all of a sudden getting a crash course in how to operate an ak in mm -hmm. a room somewhere uh, grandmothers mothers and daughters preparing molotov cocktails mm -hmm. uh with styrofoam yeah you know there's like a there's a grandma uh is intercepted russian whatever and uh i'm on twitter all day that's my that's my vice and i'm seeing all these intercepted radio transmissions phone calls and it talked about uh, an entire squad an entire squad of russian soldiers killed because a grandma was like hey you guys hungry y'all look hungry and they're like oh yes we're hungry and then she put you know rat poison in a pie and it's like how do you fight that 
You know, it's like, where's the end state, Russia? Okay, you win. You win Ukraine. What are you doing here, bro? <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's been a bunch of propaganda on both sides. Yeah. And yeah, like, uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting uh, also seeing the, like, the story of the island, mm-hmm. uh, the island, uh, def- island this, yeah, the defenders yeah. that yeah. was turned out to be, you know, not real. Yeah. Uh, or the, uh, the uh, Kiev, the, the ghost, ghost of Kiev, Kiev yeah. which was, if anything, if any fake story I wish was real. That was, was yeah, cool. Like a yeah. lone jet fighter yeah, just yeah. flying over just there. Just top gun it. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, Living life. Uh, but there was a story about this lady that walked up to a Russian soldier and handed him a sunflower seed. Mm. And he said, she said, put these in your pocket so at least flowers will grow when you die here. Right? <laughs> That's like, a gangster. That's horrible. <laughs> I thought when I heard that, yeah. okay, that lady. What do you do with that? What do you do with those people? You're going to occupy them? Uh, I mean, I think Russia tried to capture not only the military, but also the infrastructure. That's why they're not intact. Intact. I think they're at a point where they're like, let's just bomb. It's getting there. You know, that's another thing, Ed. Like we talked about earlier about Afghanistan and Iraq, like that they talk about pain. You know, I'm just getting softer in my old age. It's like you look around like John Coffey. You know, like, man, I'm sick of all this fucking sadness and pain. Yeah. And it's like, I, this might be an unpopular opinion. Like, there's Russian military service members doing evil, horrible shit right now. Yeah. Raping, raping kids, horrible stuff that they'll get theirs. They're, the world's watching. They're going to get theirs. But I can't believe that there's not another contingent of young Russian soldiers, conscripts, who have no fucking idea what's going on. They got thrown into a meat grinder yeah. meat grinder and they were just white like any one of those catastrophes that you heard of like in the first days of the invasion it would be like a whole generational military catastrophe they were having them like six seven times a day and those kids didn't do shit you know they joined the army you know their stories some of them knew again for those assholes out doing dirt yeah you need to die you need to get shot but that's another part of the pain there you know, it's all-encompassing pain this this war brings along. It's like no one's going to come out of this clean. No one's going to come out happy after yeah. however this works out, you know. You think it's like a, you know, a sign of things to come as far as conflicts globally right now? I mean, yeah. I think for me, I think China's paying close attention to what that looks like for them when they eventually, and I think it's going to happen. I think Super China's early. biding their time because they th- see a bunch of people with their head on fire and they're like, mm, you know what? We're not that bad right now, so we're just going to chill yeah. real quick. We're not going to go into Taiwan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, China China has a hundreds and hundreds of years of isolationism. You know, the first 600 years of the empire, I think it was comp- you couldn't even land on their shores. And I'm wondering if maybe we need a little bit of that for a little bit, you know, <laughs> not, not, not landing on our shores, but... You know, there's a there's a sci-fi book I read. Uh, I love sci-fi, man. I'm I'm an avid reader, and there's one book where basically aliens show up to America, to the world, and they're you know all powerful. There's nothing we can even do to to fight them. The only way your world lives is if you can produce something like that that helps uh, else out. And what does Earth come up with? What do you think Earth produce? What's the service that Earth provides the rest of the galaxy? I have no idea. They looked at everything, and they're like, you know what? We're really good at war. And they're like, yeah, you are good. You're pretty. You guys are assholes, but you're pretty good. So that's the storyline is like our export. I feel like in America, <laughs> you know, that's our export for warfighters. Yeah, yeah. warfighters, man. 20 years of, of um, some knockout, drag out. Look at that force. Yeah. Like me- American against Russian right now. You're about, you know, Mike Ritland on his podcast and Mike, Mike had this thing where he talked about cops and all, like all these liberal people want to defund the cops. It's like. 
there's been 20 years of hardcore war. Like they've been to places you don't understand. Like the cops are the only ones holding these people back. They're the thin blue line between these people who get shit done in bad ways you don't want to talk about. And we don't want that here. That's, you know, over there military, but that's poignant. Yeah. That's, uh, that's poignant. You know, yeah. um, you, you go, you go, th- you, you, uh, you, you go through the process of not only becoming an instructor, you know, at a level showing all these people that are now going to go off and fight their own war, which is an interesting aspect of it. Yeah. Like for, for me, uh, going for somebody that did stuff now to go with somebody that t- teaches it now like I, i've had the experience of sending people off to do mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. like, you feel some weird yep. responsibility there. it's like your kids walking away a little bit you know you you, you feel a responsibility yep. of people like that that are now going off and some of the things that you learn through experience or that were hard, hard lessons to learn now you're like hopefully hopefully you, you save them from yep. some of these mistakes Hopefully I gave him something, one yeah. thing that can buy him half a second, one second, something, you know. Do you have any, you know, after actions from people that uh, were sitting in on one of your class? Like, I remember having the experience sitting in on one of your presentations and I'm like, fuck, mm-hmm. I wish I had heard this. That's a common thing. Ten years ago. That's I, I, literally every time yeah, I go to teach anybody. So I tell, mostly it's civilians now, you know, organizing. I'll, I'll, I'll mention exactly what I what I what, yeah, what, what I heard. Uh, you were talking about one of the snipers that was active in Iraq, Juba. the yeah. Juba sniper, mm-hmm. and how everybody was focusing on looking. I mean, there's a sniper. Like when you say sniper, where do you look? Yeah, up, up and out. Yep, rooftops. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through an experience. Somebody got shot. And we can figure out where that shock came from. Mm-hmm. And everybody was looking. Mm-hmm. It's a natural reaction. If no one told you, it wouldn't do anything different. And and then somebody else got shot. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody else got shot, somebody got saw the disturbance on and, and saw where figured that, it out. Figured it out. It was daylight, so we couldn't see a flash, but it was it was very specific. But I remember you talking about that and having those moments like. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew that. Uh, has anybody like come back with an experience oh, yeah. like that? We have tons of them, and then and there's a lot of them. There's one I like to tell. Uh, it's from Afghanistan. But for as many cool combat stories as I have, and um, a, a lot of the, a lot of them are comments. Like uh, like this one guy, he was uh, nine deployments, Green Beret, nine deployments, got out, became a contractor, did three more deployments, tip of the spear doing some ISIS stuff and like to get a comment from a guy like that he goes you in three weeks have trained me more than he goes this type of training I had to get over a career in the Green Braves over five or six different schools that I had to go to he goes you guys just knocked it out in three weeks so hearing stuff like that's always good but um one portion that that makes me feel good I know guys walked away okay is um there was a, a abandoned compound in Afghanistan this is uh seventh marines they called us at our hooch in combat hunter from a secure phone of uh you know one of the green phones and they're like hey you're getting a secure call from afghanistan tomorrow and we're in san clemente and we're like what the fuck i'm like what did i do did i do a war crime or something did our students do a war crime and um the whole command staff was on a speakerphone and they're like hey we just wanted to call and tell you this story so one of the, a bunch of their guys got trained by us but a lieutenant was one of them 
They're going to an abandoned compound. And in Afghanistan, I didn't, I'd never been there. Abandoned compound is like a euphemism, like we're going to get blown up. No one abandons compounds in Afghanistan unless it's a reason. So they're already got contact in their head and they're ready to rock and roll. And they head out there right before they get to the car, like real close to the compound, they take contact, sporadic gunfire. But they immediately drop down and the squad leader's yelling at the Marines to get in the building, hey, get in the complex, get in the complex. The lieutenant, for whatever reason, this is how it works sometimes, for whatever reason, stops and grabs and goes, stop, stay down. They're getting shot at. He hasn't maintained cover. He runs over with a combat ladder and hops up on the, on the wall, and he looks down into the courtyard. And he, can't, he, he, he goes, I can't even tell you what I saw. He goes, I just got a bad feeling. Going back on it, when he looked at it again, it was an abandoned compound. And when he looked around the four corners, there was fresh spore disturbance. You know, you could tell someone under an hour ago had made this disturbance. And that's what he caught. And he jumped off. He goes, nope, run in the bushes. And they went, ran into like a shitty piece of cover, still took some shots, returned fire. Then these guys run away. No more shots. So they get it all done. And he's kind of getting, in and get, getting into it with the squad leader. The squad leaders, hey, why'd you stop? Why'd you, you know, whatever. And they bring the engineer. Long story short, they go scan the thing with the engineer. 13 daisy-chained IEDs on the inner side of the courtyard, on the inside of the wall where we all take cover. That was a squad of Marines, so 15, 16 Marines probably with a lieutenant. That would have been a mass casualty. They would have been picking up pieces of them, you know. This courtyard's probably twice as big as, you know, the room we're in. Maybe 100, you know, 50 feet across. How does that feel like to take a call like that? That felt good. I'm the guy, I, I, I choke up. I choke up big time. And the, the tearing up happens worse and worse now when I, I get older. Is it, know? is it, uh, you know, for me, it's always been like, uh, you know, you, you go and do shit and some of it is pretty hard and some of it is not, there's no way you can justify it to anybody ever, yep. you know? Usually uh, ends in pain. Usually ends in pain. Uh, you get so few moments of good that mm -hmm. right yep. uh yep there's yeah you know there i was in a domestic violence situation in uh in iraq which is weird we we're uh outside of fallujah this is for the fake pump not the the, for the big push but it was still rock and roll and we're patrolling down the middle of you know it was kind of a suburb of fallujah on the outskirts we're walking a pretty heavily urban area i one gunshot rings out this gunshot's ak probably 50 60 feet away from us and we're like, here we go, rock and roll again. So me and my buddy, Brian, he peels off when we hit this house where the gunshot's coming from. For whatever reason, yeah, you do weird shit, you know. We're a two-man, we split. He goes to the right side of the house, and I go to the left. And we have other people coming behind us, but we're the first ones on the scene, and we're running. And I'm just running. I take the corner first, obviously, before Brian gets over. And I turn the corner, and I pick up my rifle about to kill somebody. And here's this older guy. There's one kid laid out on the ground. His head's bleeding everywhere. This one older guy is, is hacking away at this one kid with a shovel, hitting him with it, you know. And that's what I see. So I'm about, and one guy's got an AK. So one guy's holding the AK at all these three people. This guy's beating this guy. This guy's bleeding. I'm going, what the shit? And I just walk into it. And they see me, and they act like I just walked on with their pants down. They're all just freeze, and they, and they go, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm going, put the... Put the gun down, put the gun down. This is when Brian comes around the corner and he's pulling the slack off his trigger. And I literally, I was like, no, stop. And he go, you know, kind of stopped. And he, the guy dropped the gun and started talking. I'm like, what the hell? It turned out 
it was a domestic sheep situation where one sheep had been eaten on this side too much. So the old guy hit the young kid in the head with a shovel. This guy went and brought his AK and we turned the corner right when all that Just happened. So bumping into this. Yeah, we thought it was an Al Qaeda cell. No, it was a domestic <laughs> sheep situation. So. You know, uh, uh, having the ability to discern when not to shoot. Slow down. Yep. Slow down. Yep. Um, so how long were you, for, were you in that program? So I was there, was that, that was 2008. I was there as a Marine for about four years, um, flying around all over the place. I went to get out of the Marine Corps because my time was done. I'd been recalled and my time was done. They gave us like one extension and they're like, that's it. You're turning into pumpkins. You're going away. And they said, hey, you want a job? So like literally they did my award ceremony and I came back, you know, with a polo and a beard on, you know, uh, Monday morning. I checked in. So I checked out with a guy named Captain John Dick. That's his real name. Great guy. Checked out. He's my captain. He's the guy in charge of me. I checked out with him on a Friday and like came to Monday. I'm like, hey, what's up, bud? How you doing, guy? You know, and we now he was my, you know, so it was a w very weird situation. Spent another five years there as a civilian, again, traveling, training everything around. And um, then really everything started to die down. Bo um, the deployments really started to, weren't as hot as they were anymore. And that's when I started, you know, realizing there was a need and a want for these type of skills, type of skills, you know, out in America, our world here, you know, dealing with schools and active shooters, there's so much violence out there. And that's kind of going back to the pain thing. You know, I'm sick of all this sadness and pain. So if you and me were those guys that had to go stare this nasty shit in the face, you know, yeah, no bueno for us, but at least we have skills that we can pass to other people that they don't have to see that vileness. Hey, why do I need to do this? this tip you just told me don't worry about it just if you get in a situation do it, it'll help you out so that's what kind of veered me off from there but yeah i spent about nine ten years there at the program that's you awesome. know as a marine and a civilian you know yeah. um so this is something i get a lot questions of like look at my experience was you know kind of different but you know, did things uh mil mil uh paramilitary training and all the stuff that i you know went through and the stuff you went through what does that have to teach um you know i don't know a, a dude that works uh selling insurance policies uh somewhere uh and you know has a family maybe and uh he's interested in keeping his family safe because he just saw some stuff on the news that is worried um he's not a war fighter he's not going to go mm -hmm. off to war he's not have to he did i don't think he has to worry about a sniper mm -hmm. although las vegas well. las vegas shooting and all the stuff that's happening has happened in recent years um i get called an alarmist and or like i'm exaggerating threats uh mm -hmm. or fear mongering sometimes by some people that are you know fear out there if, if you're mongering or like ah oh, your head like not not everything is that bad or or you know most of the stuff you talk about is pretty bad <laughs> well i mean specifically like um so i, I you know I, I i worked in mexico i wasn't i wasn't in tourism you know like mm -hmm. i got to see some pretty bad stuff mm -hmm. so that's what i talk about mm -hmm. um but uh like for you going from showing war fighters that are going off into a conflict zone uh to now sitting down and talking to somebody that just wants to be a bit more aware of what's happening because mm -hmm. some of the stuff on the news is concerning. What changes as far as your process and uh, you know what 
you know, how do you format that for somebody like that? The process is relatively the same. You know, the verbiage is the same. Relative, the situations and examples I might give might be different. With military specifically, you know, there's a component of aggressiveness, you know, speed, surprise, and violence of action. So with the military, with a force that's supposed to do that, if I'm teaching a bunch of truck drivers, you know, probably not going to teach them that. But if it's infantry, recon, or combat arms, you know, I'm going to add in the aggressive component. Whereas... When I'm teaching it, normal people, everyday people, is we don't really have that aggressive. We have aggressive defense component, like aggressively run your ass out of there if you figure something out. Um, most people look at the realm of situational awareness and the analysis we're talking about. They think you got to be guys like us at every yeah. time. They're like, oh, man, I really want to do this training. I want to take your course. But I wasn't in the Marine Corps. It's like. Okay, you're standing here in front of me breathing alive. Apparently, your awareness was good enough into this point in your life. I don't know, maybe you haven't been tested, but you're alive. So, step one, you're alive, you haven't died yet. We can teach you awareness. And um, another thing is making people realize the times we're in right now. Times are very different. Times are changing rapidly. And I'm, I'm saying times are changing in the last six months to the next six months from now, not like, oh, in the last 20 years, um, we were seeing upticks in violence, the economy's taking a crap, so that's always gonna add violence to it. So understand that we're transitioning from maybe it was good times, but we're getting into those bad times now and people change. And on the behavior side is understanding most people were, were looking to stop the bang event. Bang is your bad event. That one thing in the middle of this timeline that I don't want to happen, getting shot, raped, mugged, whatever it is. Most of the people out there are operating to the right of that timeline where they're looking, all right, when the active shooter walks in here, I'm going to do this and then I'm Judy chop them. You know, it's all reactionary. Um, I have a video of a, of a school shooter um, where these cops, you know, showed a school shooting and the guy comes in with an AK and a shotgun on his back. He opens the door and he's rocking and rolling with his AK, flipping magazines. It's like you're not doing anything in that situation. So it's to stop looking at the bang and looking at the pre-event indicators, everything left of that, everything yeah. on the other side. Um, if you can just get people to understand that there's a behavior that will show someone their exact or pretty much their intention towards you, you just have to look for it, you yeah. know. Then once someone shows you, once someone takes your head and goes, look, you know, hey, when you make a scuff in the ground, that can last us. It's not rocket science, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. If I'm tracking someone and it's a hot day and I pick my head up and I have no idea where the tracks are going, what can I do? I can look up in my thing and go, okay, I'm a human. I'm hot. The sun's out. I want shade. I want water. Yeah. So I can look out of my terrain and go there, there, and there. Hey, guys, go check those spots out. You know, yeah. instead of like wandering around. So that's the kind of concept. So like school shootings right now are the, the, it's, that's the thing, you know, restrictions are coming, yep. uh, the laws are changing, all of that. Um, if you could sit down with anybody that's concerned about some of that stuff and has their kids somewhere in the school, mm. uh, like what would you like when, when you talk about some of those indicators? Um, and I think a big part of it, in my opinion, a big part of it is that the kids are not in the conversation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, and the kids uh, aren't all right. <laughs> the kids yeah. aren't, aren't, aren't all right, and the kids are not part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mental health and medication, we can talk about that another time, but yeah. specifically, I think that the kids are not part of the conversation. Uh, solutions about arming teachers, solutions mm -hmm. about locking down schools. Uh, but I rarely see anybody talking about social media and how, mm -hmm. it's, uh, how it's done some things to the, uh, you know, awake it. Kids, something's happened something's happened right yep. um 
like what on the observation wise like what would you tell a parent that has a kid in school as far as not only them being observant but mm-hmm. what should their kids be watching out for yeah so there's two schools of thought here you could train the parents and the staff and then you could train the kids too but the stuff i'm talking about if we were to train the kids in this stuff and you hypothetically did have a shooter they would use this information so having kids as part of the conversation definitely training them you know how to react cool but where i focus on is um the the slowing down the events and attacking it from different vectors okay everyone wants to talk about the gun right now like uh the gun vector make guns illegal if they made guns illegal today we all know there's 400 million guns this is this is this this is mexico very restricted gun laws ammo was cheaper here during the COVID epidemic there you go you know oh there you go yeah you can get a gun anywhere in afghanistan they're still shooting at us with mosin nagans that the british left in 1850 the last time they did exactly what we did big circle in there so what I do is, you know, you, you attack the vectors and the planning and the preparation behavior, you know, and you look at some of the FBI studies and they go, hey, these people will plan and think about this stuff for, for a year, two years, maybe even 10 years. But when it comes to enacting the plan, now I've made a decision like, all right, on this day, I'm going to go. It looks like it's about a week time frame, about seven days of planning and preparation, procuring equipment before they commit that act. So if you can look for these indicators like. Um, people talk about um, uh, 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 inordinate amount of weapons or inappropriate weapons, okay? What's inappropriate in a baseline? Okay, if a kid grew up in Missouri and hunted his whole life and has camo and has guns, that's one thing. That's part of the baseline. But if a kid who was into comic books and had nothing to do with guns or never, didn't have in the house, all of a sudden they're procuring or talking about it. Am I saying rush over there and Goldberg him? No, it's a data point. Um, the shooter, you talk about infrastructure and, and you want to look at for those behaviors, they have to make their way into the facility. Um, so I'm looking for, you know, weapons manipulation behavior. If I want to take a rifle, am I wearing a t-shirt? Am I wearing a jacket to conceal it? So before the gun gets into the campus, are there vectors we can slow them down? You know, yeah. um, Charlie Hebdo attack. Remember that one? You know, they had threats before they had a, a, a part, basically a secret service member in the office where they got shot up, okay? They had a big, thick security metal door on the outside that you had to have a key card to get in, right? Okay, well, what did they do? They just sat there and waited for the first employee to show They put a gun to head, give me your key card. Yeah, let's go in. And now they have full access. So a simple thing like that door, great, have someone on the other side of that yeah. that can look at a face and go, okay, you're coming in here, you're not coming in here, you know? Uh, so things of that nature, looking at planning, preparation, behavior, and slowing down through every vector I can. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you, if you look at some of these, uh, like what are some of the patterns that you're noticing as far as some of the things that are changing with some of these shootings? Like, uh, like recently the age groups of some of these uh, recent shooters is, is interesting to me. Um, the, the tactical component, the, the tactical component, and also the fact that some of them seem to have exposure exposure through youtube shooting yep Mm -hmm. youtube uh i don't know but at least exposure to rudimentary i mean the buffalo shooting people say like oh that's a pretty good shot it's a rifle and he's 10 feet away and he's 10 feet away but he's playing the motions you see he's playing he's larping yeah he's watched it he's He's seen it yeah he's monkey see monkey yeah when they're shooting they're doing they're doing this stuff you know is Uh, he effective now you see you see stuff like that yeah and you know you know, I got the the emotional aspect of it. Uh, you know, children. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yep. Um, 
but uh, some of these murderers are children mm -hmm. than themselves in a way. You yep. know, uh, uh, what do you what do you think is at the root of some of these things? Uh, you know, just yeah. a, as a, a you know bit part part of being a part of your job in a way is kind of a, there's a little bit of profiling there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, mean, I, I personally, I personally look into some of the, their, you know, how they grew up, uh, some of the issues that they have. Mental health is apparently always very mm -hmm. prevalent in a lot of these, and mm -hmm. also some of the medication. Medication. Mm -hmm. um, so what are you some of the, some of your opinions on? You know? Again, these are complete opinions here. Yeah. We're, this we're is, departing. This is, this, is, this, is, this is just this is just yeah. An um, you know, people poo poo uh, Colonel Grossman nowadays lieutenant Colonel grossman sometimes you know they have stuff to say about him or some of the stuff he talked about but he's been saying a long time is video games i'm not saying it's video games i'm saying maybe that's one data point because video games is one exposure uh youtube is another exposure tv and movies is another exposure um 20 30, well, like 30 years ago you could order a fully automatic thompson submachine gun from a sears and roebuck magazine okay Cost like 50 bucks. God, I wish it was back in those days. Um, we had BARs. You could sell 7.62 BAR or 7 millimeter BARs, whatever. Um, what changed? What changed to where, you know, we have much more restrictions on weapon system now, but these kids are wanting to put out there. So I think those are data points. And what we, what did we just say? What's that kid doing? Like the first shot he takes, he's like this. He's mm -hmm. LARPing. He learned that from somebody. I'm like, what, what does that mean? Ban video games, ban TV for kids. I have no idea. But, yeah. but, and also you can see a pattern too of this isn't, you know, school shootings, like you said, is very emotional, but we've had mass shootings before. Yeah. Going postal, you know, but before, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you saw a lot of school or, or, or workplace shootings. Now you've seen that really drop, but the school has gone through. Yeah. So both components are what's going on yeah. i think medication it seems like again my opinion but it seems like every person they have is uh, some type of medication and it used to do with schizophrenia i don't know if that's accurate but it, it appears to be schizophrenia over and over again where the with the voices and whatnot not all the time you know but um how do you address that i that's that's a thing Ed, is i try not to go too far down the rabbit yeah. hole of the what yeah. yeah because it's like man i'm gonna focus on the shooter trying to kill people yeah He's a baby. He's not a baby. He went to, you know, Bible study, you know, whatever. He's a shooter. He's an attacker. And these are the things we're going to do to secure this facility that happens to be a school. So. so speaking a little bit about the civilian side of training and, and uh, you know, preparation, uh, we've mentioned the word baseline mm -hmm. a lot. It's yeah. like a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty used terminology in our, in our field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some people that might not know what that is, can you explain what a baseline is and, you know, maybe how to construct one and how, how that kind of plays into the, some of the ways that you can, people can prepare for, you know, bad situations. Absolutely. Now we'll actually construct one of what I just did crossing the border today. Sure. I saw a whole scenario. There's nothing criminal about it, but it was an interesting scenario. So, uh, you know, the baseline is what is, what should be the norm. People, place, a thing. Everyone has a baseline. And it's up to you to walk around in life and establish those baselines. Because if you don't have a baseline, you'll never spot the anomaly. The anomaly is the thing that's going to hurt you, that's going to blow you up or shoot you. So that's the one step there is get your head out of your phone and start watching people's behavior. 
oh, I don't know. I don't really know what people's behavior mean. It doesn't matter. Start watching behavior. You will learn and learn and learn. You know, little games like maybe you used to play, like, you know, if you want to sit down with a friend and if you have a T intersection, hey, is this person going to turn left or turn right? That's a simple game like that. And you can see how often you can get it right because 60 to 70% of communication is nonverbal. Most people, just that, if you can understand that and believe that, most nonverbal, how much are you paying attention to at a given point? Do you even know your own baseline behavior? You know, do you even know what you're giving off to the world? Most people don't, you know, so become a student of human behavior. Um, for example, let me show you how to build a baseline. So I'm crossing the border from uh, San Diego to TJ today to come to this. Um, obviously, it was, a, it was a, obviously a border, but it was also a hard environmental line. Once you were actually on the TJ side of the border, the, the air is different. The smell is different. There's different grit in the air. Even 50 feet across the border, it's different. There's something it about it. Yeah, it changes. So one thing I do is called OCE method, overt, covert, and anything else or what else. So when I come out the gate, I'm there at TJ, I'm at the corner, and I go, all right, is anybody overtly afraid right now? Is there any overt violence happening? Is anybody overtly carrying weapon systems? Scan, scan, scan. You can do that scanning pretty quick. You yeah. know? Um, none of that. Now we go into the covert. All right. Is there anybody, is there stealth violence happening? Is there, you know, someone concealing a weapon system? Do I look around and see someone continually patting one side of their thing? I don't know if it's a phone or a gun or a bomb, but if someone's continually touching and patting, that's something you want to pay attention to. So I did that quick scan and anything else is the last one is like, all right, is there any other, you know, amplifying information that I need to know about, you know, my standing in a weird area. So I did that quick check OCE. And now that there was no danger, now we start gathering information. Now that I have make sure I'm safe in my area, now I'm start gathering information. What's the uh, speed of movement? What are people doing? What are activities? Um, I wanted to blend into the environment. So I looked around, saw a soft drink. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, went to the store and found just like that and walked around with that in my hand because I saw that. Do I know that's part of the baseline yet? No, not necessarily, but good enough for me to blend in. Um, and then I started, I was in a taxi area. I'm waiting for an Uber and I'm actually kind of worried my Uber's coming right to the taxi area. And if y'all don't know out there, you know, in uh, podcast land, sometimes these foreign cabbies, there's wars, there's, there's, there's full on violence, war. you know. Uh, I remember going to Rome and there were signs in Rome that says you, you will pay a $10,000 fine if you run an Uber in the city of Rome and they probably bury you. So I'm waiting for a conflict, like the taxi guy. And I'm like, who's going to give me the problem? And one of the things we do is called uh, the made man looking for who is in charge. So it means mimicry, adoration, direction, entourage. So I'm looking around and all the cabbies are kind of half in, half out of their cabs. They got their phones out, they're in their cabs, whatever it is. But there's one guy standing. There's one guy standing and I see him point. And as soon as he points, one cab comes out of a thing and goes in a really innocuous little thing. But I start watching that right there and I go, all right, this is the guy who's in charge. If I'm going to have a problem with anybody in this group, this is the person who's in charge. Uber comes, nothing happens. But if you want to scan that person a little bit more, you can not only watch what they're doing, direction, he was giving them form of direction, but also when someone's in charge, the other people around them will subtly start to mimic them. So if we're standing around and we're all standing like this, I don't know who's mimicking who. But if like, let's say that top person, the taxi cab guy, you know, does some variation like this, slowly you'll see, start to see 
you know, yeah. a mimicry uh, happening. So that's another indicator direction I talked about. Um, um, entourage, having more than one person, one person, you know, somebody providing extra. So just the ability to scan a crowd and go, hey, that person right there seems to be in charge. That's a valuable thing. That applies in combat. When I see one of these behaviors in a bazaar somewhere and I go, hey, stop the truck. And I wade through all these hundreds of people and I walk up to you. And I'm like, what's up, bro? How's your day going? And you really are a bad guy. I don't know that. But I, I keyed off a behavior. What's going on in your head? Yeah. You're all fucked up. Yeah. Who's ratting on me? So that's a combat situation. What about a board meeting? You know, a lot of these times someone will be formally in charge, the boss, the CEO, but you can watch certain behaviors and go, this person in charge, They're, every time they laugh or make a comment, they'll defer. They'll look at this person over here. And what I really want to do today, and they'll look at them, that's a person they're looking to for direction. You know, um, you see little gangbangers do this, you know, when they're talking to cops. Oh, yeah, nothing, officer. Uh, no, I'm just, they're looking at the old timer across the street. So just that right there, your ability to pick up one overt threats or covert threats and scan who's in charge of that physical area. That's a huge amount of information, way I, more than normal people have. I remember like uh, sitting in and listening to one of your classes and you talked about awareness, specifically hyper awareness in an environment. Uh, and it's something that took me years to figure out for myself. And all of a sudden I'm seeing you just give this golden apple of information to these people that might have not been through some of the things that I went through, mm -hmm. but basically you described in most environments, the hyper aware are usually there to look out for you yep, or to get one over you. Basically the, the it's, it's one or one or the other. And where are you in that equation? Yes, that's a huge factor there. So there's the outward studying of behavior, what the world is telling me. But again, going back to what are you telling the world? Because one, you could be causing anomalies. You could be causing disturbances. You know, I've talked to, I don't know how many cops I've trained and I make this joke and you know, code four is, you know, I'm clear, I don't need help, I'm, uh, I'm good to go. Let's say you're a cop and you're talking to an individual, everything's good to go, but you have that one guy in the department show up and you're trying to wave him off going, no, 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 court for court. And he shows up and just because of his demeanor, he pisses off the person all of a sudden, your mace and your fight, you know? Uh, so understanding what's going on in you and your brain. People who have been, you know, I was 18 years old, you know, when I, 19 years old when I started deployment. So that's a young brain that gets conditioned towards violence and survival, you know? I love the Marine Corps because they'll teach you how to be a professional homeless person, you know? Um, so when you have a young brain like that, you end up in that conditioning a long time. That's your go-to, you know? It's like if you, all you have is a hammer. So, and then you have the other side of the spectrum of civilians being stuck in their phone and not having any awareness. Both of them are bad areas to be in. Both of them are bad. Obviously, the civilian with a head in the phone, they're not paying attention. But decision-making when you make, when you're hyper-vigilant, when you're redlining all the time, and the other component is if you're redlining all the time, you're always looking for that threat all the time. Murphy's law, Murphy's law tells you you're going to burn out. You're going to yeah. burn out. And right at that moment when you burn out, that's when Murphy is going to come out of your back pocket and he's going to rip your face off. So both of them are bad places to be completely unaware or too unaware where you're affecting your decision making, yeah. you know? So the sweet um, area is having gone to this side of the house and going, all right, calm it down, calm it. Not everything is such a threat, you know? So both bad places to be, but both easily trainable. All you, you, you need a little bit of knowledge about this stuff. It's going to take you a far away, you know?
Uh, you you see something that is out of place, mm-hmm. uh, and you conf- you confirm something to yourself. Uh, you see something that you think is out of place, but it's just because you haven't adapted your sense of normal to the environment you're in. Because mm-hmm. normal is a fluid concept. You know? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, so if you, I don't know. For, for me, it's uh, I, I understand the whole being burned out aspect of it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's you know issues of post traumatic stuff. You mm-hmm. know that where I'm like wait this is doesn't seem right and i spend a lot of energy and time on looking at something or looking around and all of a sudden turns out to be nothing Mm -hmm. and there's an exhaustion element to that if you're constantly doing that that's pretty that's a pretty bad place to be bad bad, bad place to live so speaking about uh, balancing some of this uh process out for people uh so one you know you you don't want them to be completely paranoid and looking around all over the place Two, you don't want them to be stuck in their phone, you know, scrolling through TikTok. Um, what's that middle ground look like for people? Like, uh, does the, does it mean that, you know, look around every now and then? Uh, does it mean educate yourself to what to look out for? Mm-hmm. Like, what's that middle, middle ground kind of look like for people? So it's, you have to have the base education. You have to have a base knowledge of understanding nonverbal behavior and biometrics and kinesics and be in the pre-behavior, like we talked about with the active shooter. So understand that there's a knowledge base out there. That knowledge base you can come to me to get. That's fine. But what you said, normal is fluid. You know, baselines are fluid. So my normal could be a very different normal than someone else. So you establish a baseline of knowledge. You get the basic training. Then you apply it to your baseline. You have to come up with a new baseline because baseline for TJ is different than San Diego, 50 feet across. So it's that. It's the application of the mindset in the real world. There's so many people out here studying and doing things, but if you're not actively doing it or actively practicing it, when the time comes, you know, we've all heard, you know, you rise to the occasion. Scientifically, you defer to the highest level of your training. Yeah. If your highest level of your training is shit, that's what you're going to pull out of your pocket in the middle of a bad situation. So, and the component of, for the civilian sector is times are a changing. Yeah. There is socioeconomic factors. There's political, there's refugee population. I've been saying the same thing for you know, 15 years now, but now it's really accelerating. So people need to understand that there are active threats out there that you've never met, that you don't have a problem with it. You've never done anything to that are actively trying to hurt you. Military law enforcement, we all wake up every day with that thought, but that's sadly a thought that we have to think about nowadays. It, uh, it is interesting to me seeing, you know, uh, we just went through COVID mm-hmm. where everybody basically shut in. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that we went through some of the protests related to some of the police brutality stuff that happened in the United States. And, the cancel the police thing and black lives matter and you know antifa i really thought that was going to work man the defund the police i really thought that was going to help i mean uh (laughs) recruitment is down standards are lowered and you know the cops didn't show up to places Mm -hmm. i was uh i was in atlanta i was in atlanta for some of the protests and i was also in portland for some of the protests Mm -hmm. and i got to remember that yeah yeah. i got i I was walking around there like i'd like to learn so like i like you were running a class, and they're like, hey, yeah. let's go outside. Yeah, let's go outside, <laughs> yeah. and I learned some of this firsthand. Hey, look, a combat zone. Uh, as an outsider uh, coming from a country like Mexico, like the one we're in right now, where you know, rule of law and cops showing up doesn't mean necessarily that things are going to be solved. Mm-hmm. It was a very familiar place for me. 
mm-hmm. in the United States. Like I, I recognize the aspects of being in a place where who are you going to call? You know, yeah. Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? No one's coming for you. They no th- one's coming. They for threw you. a Molotov cocktail at the police and it landed on the foot of one of the protesters. And as soon as that happened, everybody screamed for the police on that protest line, which was pretty funny. They yeah. walked over, put him out, and then they walked back to their line and started rioting. Yeah, who, who, who wants to go to who wants to grow up to be a police officer now? You know, that's probably going to be a rare thing later on. Uh, you know, departments all over California are just like losing, hemorrhaging people. Yep. Uh, San Diego to, is one. San Diego's had problems for years now with staffing, and <laughs> that was before COVID. Yeah, and a lot of this kind of brings me to the whole aspect of responsibility that we have as men mm-hmm. and and if you're a parent or if you're just anybody that wants to be an asset to your people around you and not just a boat anchor uh to prepare and going out to a range and shooting high speed pretty cool guns all that great um knowing how to use a weapon knowing how to fight all that is great but a lot of the stuff that has kept me safe and kept me alive for as long as i have and some of the i mean we're in these Back when I was working in the city, it was the most dangerous city on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was working the most dangerous job on the planet, according to some uh, uh, some of the life insurance policy guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to learn a lot. I got to see a lot. And I wish that I had gone to one of your classes before I went through all that stuff mm-hmm. because I had to learn things the hard way. I was right there with you, man. I did three deployments. Then we got it. It's yeah. like, Jesus, where was this? Uh, so when I, uh, when I talk, when I talk about people getting ready and being responsible and figuring some of these things out now, uh, you know, COVID hit and everybody was trying to learn how to build a pantry, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I grew Home up with, yeah, 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 I grew up with one. So I already had one. Uh, there's a line of people outside of the gun store, uh, and they were, Hey, you have a gun? Can I borrow a gun? That type of thing. Um, a lot of that hardcore high-speed stuff is great but some of the software elements that you provide to people in your training is i think it's if there's any place to start for people if anybody out there sees them going to a range and shooting an ar with a plate carrier as something completely far away or hard to get to or like out of place for them uh it's probably because they haven't uh had the the download of the software download that they need to kind Mm -hmm. of see where some of those things fall into at this further part of the spectrum but actually knowing what to look for knowing what to prepare for and seeing and and gaining the ability to to not only look but to see Mm -hmm. you know as far as threats uh, threats coming in and how they're changing constantly where do you think is this going like uh as far as trends go oh it's trending and it's evolving into something we've never seen before uh, technology is a huge component of that. Drones. Dro- what the- we're seeing in Ukraine is early adoption phases of, of wickedly deadly elements. This is cavemen bumping two sticks together to make fire right now. Yeah. And they're deadly effective. What's the Russian count kill? 30,000 dead. I don't know if that's true or not, but okay, let's cut it by a third. Let's say 10,000. That's horrible. We're seeing the very beginnings of the employment of those things. Yeah. Um, they're going to evolve and they're going to get quicker and faster and much harder. We've had this kind of online like, hey, let's link arms and protect ourselves against the ocean. With the advent of some of the technology, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, you'd mentioned that the police and our, our, situa- our, our, <clears throat> our positions as men 
um, to, specifically in the United States right now with law enforcement. You know, the United States is kind of unique. It's kind of an experiment. You know, we talk about defunding the cops and the cops are brutal and the cops are doing this. We, the people, that's us. The cops are us. We have given the police, a, a sworn officer, our powers. And we said, you know what? We are Americans. We don't want to deal with this every day. So we're going to empower you, another citizen, just like us, to deal with this stuff. So when you're sitting there, you know, knocking the institutions and bashing that, yeah, there's brutality and there's problems, but that's what we gave them, you know. So every person out there, whether you're sworn a cop or not, it's your duty to defend, you know, yeah. d d duty to defend the weak, whether it's here or not in a foreign country, not a foreign country, you know, it doesn't matter. It was funny that uh, some of these uh, uh, free zones that developed in places like Portland, Seattle mm. and stuff like that, yeah. like Chaz. Yeah, Chaz, murders the, every night. The, the first thing they did... They set up a police force. <laughs> you can't make that up. I mean, they were carrying, like, they had their own police force with AKs. I'm the police here. The first yeah. thing they did was set they up They should a have never force. let that slide, though, because psychologically, what are you telling people? I think they know now. Yeah. That should have been taken out day one to show, like, we're a, we're a rule of law here. Because some people start to question. Yeah, the lines now. Yeah, it's and they go, oh, they can do a Chaz. I'll do my own Chaz now, yeah. you know. It's a, it's an interesting aspect of how th uh, things are normalized now. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that are normalized now that would you know like beyond comprehension. That'd two be, years ago, two years ago, some of the stuff you see the the kids in the schools and the shoot like all these situations are coming out now. It's like I feel like I came out of a bunker. <laughs> um, so if people want to find out more about your training and about more about you, like where, where can they, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So if you're an organization, if you're a school or, or a federal government, go to the website emergencedisrupt.com. It's the best way to contact me, and I'll solve your training solutions. But if you just want this information for yourself, I started Patreon not too long ago, so I kind of followed in your footsteps, and it's a really good way to do that. So Yusuf Badu Patreon, you know, I'm the only pretty sure I'm the only Yusuf Badu on there, and we do a really fan, uh, fun show called the Left the Bang Show, basically where I pick a topic and we talk about the pre-attack, pre-event indicator of it we have some uh, little useful five-minute situational awareness guides like that OCE thing I told you just little chunky things you can read hey maybe you're in a combat zone or maybe you're dropping your kids off in the school whatever it is so those are the best two uh, ways to get at me probably some of the most valuable few hours of just sitting and listening that I've had in a while when I got to see your presentation and it's again some of those moments where I just like wish with all of my heart to have listened to some of that at the start of my career mm. and uh, could have avoided a lot of stuff. So highly recommend uh, anybody out there that is willing, that is want that just sees this as a daunting task to get ready, you mm -hmm. know, because uh, it's coming. This is a pretty good place to start. It's a software download uh, and it is something fundamental that will make other things make sense. So you're trying to, jump into the deep end of the pool that's probably going to be pretty daunting but this is a it's a pretty interesting there you go this is a, this is a pretty that's ferraris here too don't worry yeah it sounds like it yeah <laughs> so we're about to go get some bomb ass tacos you know the the more dangerous the city the better the tacos and i'm gonna see how how uh, quick it takes me to get over the border we'll, f we'll figure it out <laughs> um thank you so much for coming on man. thank it's you a for great having conversation i uh, hope to have you back on uh, again uh if you uh if you want to get ready for whatever's coming, uh, I think this is a good place to start. Uh, software download. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. I appreciate it. Out.